Hi and welcome to The Courageous Mama. I'm your host, Madeline Stanamaros. The purpose of this podcast is to empower, equip and encourage parents, no matter what age children you have. What kind of a week have you had? Mine is so varied that you could make very different assumptions about our family, depending on what time you caught a glimpse of us. One of my children is a film student and he's doing a sort of spoken word piece. It's a bit like a pop video where the different pieces are said in different settings and in different clothes. For one scene, the one that I was asked to film, it required him sporting a red dress and bright red lipstick in our local very busy park. But the moment I'm really glad you didn't see is the one where a stool gave way underneath me and I ended up rather inelegantly sprawled on my back across the kitchen floor. What were your finest moments this week? Today, I want to introduce you to someone who definitely accepts me, no matter what they glimpse on any week. My own mum. I thought with it being Mother's Day this week, it would be fun to ask my mum to look back at her years as a mother and a grandmother. There are gems to be gained here. I'm one of five and we were brought up in Latimer, Buckinghamshire, in the heart of the countryside, but just a 10p and 35 minute train ride to London on a Saturday. I have two older sisters, very close in age, one only 11 months older than me. Imagine that, an 18 month old, 11 months and a newborn by the age of 23. (laughs) That's hardy stuff. Then one brother came along four years later and another 12 years later. And the youngest one was only eight when the grandchildren started coming along. So mum and dad never really had that lull in between to travel the world or take up skydiving or whatever I'll be missing out on because I too have a big gap between our eldest and our youngest. Dad was an engineer and slightly eccentric in his way and always building or creating something in his man shed. We lost him last January. I'm sure there are lots of people out there who'd have wonderful things to say about their mums and I'm no different. If I had to sum her up, I'd say she's fun and adventurous and she always backed our hopes and dreams and still does. She's the one who raked through the book, supported me, cheered me on and I know my brothers and sisters would say the same about all of their different adventures. As a granny, she's a real hit with all 16 grandchildren who range from age 1 to age 29. Two of my friends have told me when their grandchildren came along that they took their inspiration from my mum and I know that I will too. She's more of an empowerer than a stage front person so it was really good of her to hop on the podcast with me. It was certainly not on her bucket list but ever supportive, she agreed. Among many things, mum loves poetry and prose, so she chose a few pieces to scatter among our conversation. And I started by asking her, were you prepared for motherhood? Absolutely not. (laughs) Absolutely not. I'd never held a baby. Ever. Ever. I remember, I don't remember ever holding a baby. I don't remember being, you know, involved in any way with babies. Obviously, boarding school didn't have them, um, and I just have no recollection at all of being near a little tiny family. So I was absolutely terrified 
when I brought my first baby home. Were you, were you terrified during pregnancy? No. Or on the no, way home? quite excited, you know, and sort of went along with it. No, I, I, and I had a good pregnancy. I was a little bit sick at the beginning. I had a good pregnancy. It was fine. It was well. Um, but totally unprepared for having this live little <laughs> creature, so tiny, <laughs> totally dependent on me, <laughs> when I really didn't know what I was supposed to do with it. And what did you do? I think Mother Nature kicks in to a certain extent. Advice is given, isn't it, around... Oh, too much. <laughs> too much. And uh, Your mother-in-law gave you a little bit. Yes, yes. I was trying to sort of skirt around that without actually saying that, Madeline. But um, yes, and, and, and my reaction was immediately to go against everything she said. It was... It, 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 it's what actually eventually drew me to not giving advice to my children because... They come from a generation before and so much changes. I've seen changes in, in styles of parenting from when I first had mine in 1964 uh, all the way through. And, and it's different. Things change, more knowledge comes in, there are many books out there and so on and so forth. So she, was, my mother-in-law came from a sort of Victorian generation and it wasn't where I was at. It wasn't, I had read Dr Spock, that's right, I had read one book and it, it wasn't where I was at at all. So I paid very little attention to everything she told me, which led me not to give too much advice to my children, really. I can't remember what your question was now. <laughs> Were you prepared for mother? <laughs> so no, can't give not. us an example of her advice. <laughs> um, yes, I can, actually. It was because we had real nappies then, you know. Disposables hadn't arrived in. In fact, the most exciting thing that arrived in my mother was shaped nappies. It was terribly exciting. Instead of a great big Terry square, you folded in various kite forms, which are all diagrammed. You were taught the different ways of folding a big square, but then a shaped nappy came in. Wow, was that exciting. But anyway, I wasn't a shaped nappy. I was um, first baby, big Terry toweling. And she told me that with a dirty nappy, this is what you do. You take it in the... Well, you tip out what you... This may be too disgusting to say. But you, <laughs> you, you tip what you can in the loo, but then you take it in the kitchen, you put it on your draining board, where all your, all your dishes have been, you know, perhaps still And are going to go. And you yeah, pour, the, pour the boiling water over, and you let it soak a bit, and you pour a bit more boiling water. In the meantime, you're washing the dishes, you know. Oh, grand. And, and so on and so forth. So I think that was the point at which I thought... <laughs> I think, I, I, think I, I know nothing, but I'm just going to sort of follow my instincts. I'd rather know nothing. I'd rather know nothing. <laughs> so I went very much with mother instinct, really. And, and, and it, I think it does come naturally, perhaps more to some than others. I don't know, perhaps I, I'm just speaking for myself. But it comes more naturally if you haven't got a head full of knowledge from books, I think. Mm. I think there's something very in- instinctive about knowing your baby really that's mm. what it's about that sort of connection with your baby kind of knowing when it's sad when it's happy when it's hungry when it cries for this or cries for that rather than a list of why it might be actually it's just tuning in and knowing and i suppose that's how i learned really just getting on with it to be honest i remember when the health visitors used to come around and they were full mm. of advice and i used to think when they left i would love to hear them say what do you think what mm. do you think your baby yes. needs yes and mm. i think that's how you were with us I as you say you never advised unless we asked for it mm. but you asked us what we think mm. and you slipped into our modus operandi mm. and therefore five modus operandi because there are so many of us well there are a lot of you and, and different nationalities too and and you know some of the the other nationalities had different uh, cultures to them what they did and, and that's fine you know they did things that what that way um, do you ever find that hard as a granny looking at us perhaps fumbling and flailing at times have I seen you fumble and flail? <laughs> I've, blanked it. I've blanked it if I have. Did it? Oh, 
I, maybe I had did give it. I think I think my reaction to that would be, let me hold a baby. You go, you go no lie down or yeah. something. Yeah. I think I'd be more like, how can I take the load off you rather than sort of fill you with advice when you're absolutely up to your neck in it. Because yeah. if there's one thing I can remember about lots of little children, it's being totally overwhelmed with the enormity of of it all and so they're long days did you mind not having to work was that an aspiration it was it was so culturally normal that I never really thought about it um and it was just what what everybody that I knew did I'm not saying everybody did that obviously there were there were people who did who couldn't afford not to but I, I guess in the in the sort of place where I was at uh, we all stayed at home so it didn't even cross my mind so I did have, didn't have any desires and I hadn't got a great career to go back to or anything it wasn't like I was burning to you know, changed the world in that, in that respect. Um, later, when uh, you were sort of teenagers, um, I, I did get that that about me. I did think I'm worth more. Oh, no, I'm not I'm worth more than this, but I've got more in me than this. And I started some little businesses, four or five different ones that came mm. and went, came and went, came and went. So I guess that was in me, but not at the beginning. I think I was just happy to be uh, a mother and a wife and, and do that as well as I could. Presumably, that meant that there were other women around and you could sort of parent together and hang out at each other's houses. Absolutely. So there was the social scene, without which I would have died, I think. Because um, I think the one thing that I felt, uh, and, and I can still remember it, it there's quite a loneliness to, to bring up children if you're doing mm. it on your own. Um, you only have little, uh, little children who can't have a sensible conversation with you. So I longed for adult company. So I pursued that sort of thing. You know, if I met anybody at a... And we had dinner parties, that's what we did. That was the same part of my life, is that we'd tuck the kids up in bed, and they all went to bed at good hours, get a babysitter, and you go out for dinner. Probably exhausted and on your knees, but but my goodness, it was refreshing to talk to adults. Mm. So I would leap upon anybody I met at a dinner party and make friends and say, do come round, <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and built up um, a, a really nice uh, a load, uh, you know collection of friends that uh, had children of the same age and, and we, actually some of our friends now in yeah, our 50s yeah. are the children of those very same people aren't absolutely they? we've got They've lots been of very long standing and mm. it's been so that was a lifesaver i mean the other lifesaver came i don't know a year into my into it so bearing in mind perhaps to backtrack for people who i don't know how much you're introducing but um i had three children very quickly so i had one nine almost nine months of the day to um when we got married and my mother-in-law was certainly doing some calculations then and <laughs> <laughs> was she suspicious i in retrospect yes i didn't get didn't it, at the, it at the time because i was I, I you know i wasn't guilty but um but i look back and i think yes i think she was doing some counting <laughs> <laughs> but um, you were very um you had morning sickness on your honeymoon didn't you i did i did Which dad was no. trying to resolve with Bunderberg or something. Yes, Bunderberg. Bunderberg. Yes, yes, this will be some good, and that made it worse. Yes, yes, but of course I didn't recognise what it was at the time, and uh, so that was a bit of a bad start. <laughs> so as you were saying, you had three close together. I had three close together. I had one nine months later, one I think probably a year and a half later, and then I had you within a year of the, that second one. So mm-hmm. I had three very tiny ones together. Now, but that's just to sort of give some some context really of where I was at at that stage. Four years later, another one, and then 12 years later, another one. But that, that early stage was really frightening and really difficult. I was exhausted. I was mentally exhausted. I was lonely, even though, I yes, we had friends and so on. 
Um, but And you were close to your sisters, weren't oh, you? Yes, luckily my family lived nearby. I had a mother who lived nearby and a sister who lived nearby and a brother who lived nearby. My other brother and sister weren't, weren't on the picture at that stage. They, they arrived later. And so we saw a lot of each other. But I'm not. But we were all going through much the same sort of thing. So I don't think anybody... I think we just felt that was our lot. That's how it was. Mm. I, it never crossed my mind that I got a... That it was any worse for me than anybody else or anything. That's just... That was it. That but was it was what a I'd lot. taken on. That's what I'd signed up for. Mm-hmm. It was a heck of a lot. I was probably more down at that stage than, than ever I have been, I think. And the fun of the little, uh, tiny ages is, is sometimes just looking at them. Just walking into your baby at night and just seeing it asleep. You know, everything's quiet, everything's peaceful, and there's something really beautiful about that. And it restores you. You remember why you're doing it all again, you know. That leads us into one of your poem choices, doesn't it? It does, it does. And this is about the little children, really. It's, it's written by an Eskimo, just to put you in the picture. And it's called The Mother's Song. It's so still in the house. There is a calm in the house. The snowstorm wails out there and the dogs are rolled up with snouts under their tail. My little boy is sleeping on the ledge. On his back he lies, breathing through his open mouth. His little stomach is bulged and round. Is it strange if I start to cry with joy? Oh, that's gorgeous. I can really relate to that. Especially after a crazy day. Crazy day, noisy kids, fighting children everything going wrong and then they go to sleep and you walk mm. in and you just see one asleep and it just restores you, you know? <laughs> for some reason i particularly remember that with charlie because he is was and is such a large character mm. and then he'd be asleep and he'd be all of two and i think does all of that character fit in there yes that's so right <laughs> how does that happen <laughs> yeah and then, you know, actually, you, you've, if you've had a night's sleep, if you're lucky enough to have a night's sleep, you're always very pleased to see them in the, see them in the morning. Something about them bouncing out of their bed or their cot that, with the happy smile. That's a beautiful moment, too. Oh, you know, yeah. When you greet them in the morning and they're climb, trying to climb over the cot or something. Love that. I always started the day optimistic. However the day before had been, it's just, just kind of who I am, really. I start the day expectant for a good day. And, you know, obviously as they grew up, they get fun, don't they? And they're less up all night and all, all the bit horrible bits that go with it. And, and I'd say I really enjoyed, the, I really enjoyed the children. I have listeners who have children of all different ages, and mm. I think parenting principles span all of the ages. But what would you say to that mother of very little ones who's feeling a little bit bored, a little bit lonely, and feeling like it's all just too big? Well, I, I would say it does pass. <laughs> <laughs> it does pass. Um, you don't want to wish it away, really. Although I know I know just how very hard it all is. And I, I my lifesavers were, were people. Uh, I guess it's different for everybody. But I think sharing one's children with people, going to their houses and playing there, then coming to you, playing with you, or meeting at uh, a park or something, that was the lifesavers for me, really. And that must be so hard for people in this COVID season, because if they're the lifesavers. <laughs> People with little children must be getting spare. Absolutely impossible. I just do not know. I mean, the only good thing that's happened, I suppose, with technology is there are Zooms, there are there are phones, there are there are other ways of connecting than physically getting together, mm. um, which we didn't have any of. So that is that is the fallback. But yes, really hard, and I just totally sympathise. And for a glass of wine. No. <laughs> 
for a long gin. <laughs> I suppose the other thing that I notice with modern families is the father is far more present. Yes. And, and so they do have that. They, there's much more shared. If there is a partner. If there is a partner, yes, I'm sorry, yes, of course. But if there is a partner, I think I notice that they, they share duties, the father seems to expect to do as much as the mother. Um, so, so that's a bonus f- for the mother. <laughs> Actually, the fathers love it because they get to know the children. So it is, it's, it's win-win, really. Yeah. No, so you had... for single mothers, really hard, totally sympathetic. I'm told to sit and cry with them, really. It's <laughs> yeah. probably what they need sometimes, just yes. someone to say, yeah, yeah it's yeah. tough. So you had three little ones, one particularly beautiful. But we <laughs> <laughs> it took three goes to get there. It took three goes, <laughs> exactly. And that moves you on to having two boys and perhaps us moving into the slightly older years. What are some of your happy memories as you look back at those years? At those years, um, a play. <laughs> playing with children, playing outside, seeing the fun. I loved weekends, I loved holidays. It was like that last day of school. It was like, whew, okay, now we can really enjoy ourselves, you know. And we sort of went out as much as you could then. It was very different, but packed the car up with kids and uh, cousins and whatever. And we we shoved us all in the back of a car once and took us off to the Isle of Wight with a tent. I did on my own, yes. There we are. Well, I was so used to doing things on my own. And you could shove a load of kids in the back of a car back then. No, you can't now. Yes, we took Michael and some Holfords and we drove all the way to the Isle of Wight, across on the ferry, got into a field, put up this huge tent. And that's what we did, yes. Good old-fashioned fun. I can't honestly remember how that worked out, but I think everybody enjoyed themselves. <laughs> and drove all home again. Oh, gosh, yes. Yeah, that was that was amazing. And the older ones, um, how do we get... So it was fun, fun in the gardens, and fun seeing their friends come in as they grew up a bit more, perhaps. Maybe the teenagers, maybe even some boyfriends coming on the scene, uh, girlfriends. Um the, the constant flow of people through the house, it, it, it was just wonderful. I mean, it was chaos, but it was wonderful. And I loved that. I loved, I loved all the sort of the banter and the fun and the laughter and the naughty things you did. <laughs> yeah. Go on, reveal a naughty oh, thing. Oh, my goodness. Oh, <laughs> we, should, we should start with it. I think possibly one that I didn't know about till later, Madeline. Okay. <laughs> Not pointing a finger, but I'm told Ooh, it was told you were This could involved. be a, a full revelation moment. <laughs> I don't think so. So I played bridge. So that was another thing I did for my sanity. This was later on when you were older and there weren't little tiny, so many tinies around. I learned to play bridge and I've really enjoyed that. That's been something I've kept up and I still do in my old age. So we'd have a few people around for bridge. And on this occasion... Your bridge ladies. My bridge ladies. <laughs> on this occasion, there were four of us around the table, myself and three friends. And we were sitting in our sitting room with the... French windows uh, were behind me and I couldn't see what was happening behind me and the three ladies were sitting on the other sides of the table and they could see out very well. And so my lovely children, knowing that they were quite sort of posh, these people, decided to strip naked. (laughs) And when I wasn't looking around, which I probably wasn't very often, running across right outside this door, (laughs) backs and forwards. And I didn't know this was happening at all. There were some funny looks on my, my <laughs> friends' faces, but all wasn't revealed till years later. Years later. And the funny thing is, back in those days, they wouldn't say anything. But no. nowadays, they say, your children are naked in yes. the garden. <laughs> yes. But it was Mrs. Carter, I particularly yeah. remember. Yes. But another f- funny one, I think, oh, really. We went on holiday some, quite often with a sibling or a friend. And I think it's holidays, my sister 
Jenny, and we'd taken two boats in South in France, south of well, mid France somewhere. The Loire, the Loire, the, Loire, mm. the river. Um, so we were on two boats following each other. Unbeknown to us, us parents didn't know this was going to happen, but they'd obviously concocted it themselves. As we went under a bridge, which were quite low, those on the first bridge would jump up. On the first boat? On the first boat, sorry. Yeah. Would, would jump up and, they, and you'd hang on to the bridge and uh, that boat would go, the next boat would come. And luckily you didn't land in between and you'd land on the second boat. <laughs> And the river was filthy if you had landed in that. Disgusting. The boat would have mowed over you. And yes, you had to get Michael to drive the second boat rather than the aunts and uncles. And someone had to distract the aunts and uncles at the back of the boat. (laughs) And with lots of children, brings chaos, doesn't it? And I can remember, I can't remember who it was, one of your friends describing popping in one day. Oh, that was the funniest thing. So, yes, uh, I won't mention any names, but <laughs> you never know where these podcasts get to. But, uh, yes, he was quite a proper friend and he popped round to deliver something. I opened the front door to greet him. He walked in the hall and to the scene of Natalie, I can't remember what age, at the top of the stairs, which you could see quite well from the hall, and coming down on her skis. <laughs> <laughs> and the hamster. So there's a work friend of Dad's. He'd come to chat with Dad about some job they were doing. And it was lunchtime. The hamster had been lost in the morning and found. And he looked rather dead, this hamster. <laughs> but I'd either read or somebody had told me that actually if you, if you put them in a warm oven, they can, they can come to life again. So I popped him in the oven, in the warm oven, which a Claire arrives, sort of walks through the kitchen. I offer him lunch. He looks in the oven. It <laughs> 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 looks like a dead hamster. <laughs> Surprisingly, turns down the offer of lunch. <laughs> I bet he remembers that well. I wonder if he remembers oh that, gosh. yes. Oh. Yes, and of course, you know, we're, we're pre-health and safety and all of that. Uh, we took risks, perhaps too many, maybe we shouldn't have done, and there were broken bones along the way. I don't know whether we were too carefree, but it, but it was fun. That's my overriding flavour of those years, mm. not the scrubbing of the floor and the cleaning of the sink. <laughs> Although I'm sure it happened at some <laughs> point. The ironing, the ironing so big I couldn't get in the room. You know. What a perfect moment to introduce your next piece of poetry or prose. An astonished husband has returned home from the office to an amazing scene in his kitchen. Two little children are murdering each other while a, another tot is garroting the cat. There's a pile of last night's dirty dishes, a heap of dirty laundry, saucepans are burning, clouds of steam are rising... The floor is covered with smashed crockery and the dog has just upset the litter bin. In the middle of all this chaos, as the astonished husband walked in, his wife is sitting in an easy chair with her feet up on a table. She's reading a novel, dipping into a box of chocolates. She says, I thought that the best way to let you see what on the earth I do all day was not to do it. (laughs) How tempting. And, and probably many have. That's probably more real, more real than. <laughs> I'm just going to interrupt my conversation with Mum to say, do you know children take their values from the group that they feel they most belong to? I'm sure, like me, you hope your children will leave home with good values, whether that's honesty and integrity, fun and play, or hope and tenacity, and the list goes on. And as wonderful as their friendship groups may be, when it comes to instilling good values, we as parents are a far better bet than their friendship groups. So engendering a strong sense of belonging into our families is essential. 
there's much proof today that children have formed a stronger attachment to their friendship groups than to their families. But by instilling a strong sense of belonging, your children will have a much higher chance of attaching to their family. And belonging is something that we can be intentional about if we know how. So that children don't only know that they belong, but they feel that they belong in the family when they're little and when they're bigger. In Parenting for Life, there's a chapter on belonging that will help you to ensure that they look to you for their values. So pop along to thecourageousmama.com and take a look at the book and claim your discount. Now, back to my conversation with mum. So you talk about there being a lot of joy, and there was, we would all say that. Were there some sadnesses too? There were lots of sadnesses in there. I, I, I'm, I don't particularly want to spell them out because they're quite personal to my children. But there were, there were, there were huge sadnesses and in there, I would say, probably for each of them probably in one way or another there has been a sort of a major upset that has torn me apart and when they did when those things happened certainly you know looking back I think and this is something that I, I would look, I would do differently but I did blame myself for everything that went wrong I sort of thought I've got it wrong I've not been the right mother and that's why they've done this gone there whatever it is um, uh, and somebody I think once said to me in the midst of that she said well, you can only you can only do what you can do. You can only work with what you know. You know, you can only be the best you know how to be, and that was quite comforting. When I'd look back now again and say, it wasn't all my fault actually. Mm. <laughs> you know, it's everybody's responsible a little bit for what they do. But I did feel that. I felt that very weighty, very heavy. The sadness of it. You know, the sleepless nights over some things was was very, very hard, very hard. And I don't feel that I could have. I really could share that hugely with my husband. Because of the culture thing again, you know, they were work. They had lots of worries at work, which is another sort of worry. You know, things that were going on there. They weren't tuned in to the family life in, in the same way at all. Um, and think, you're probably the one we come and yes, share with, aren't you? Because I was there, and I was the one that you could share with. And some stories came out earlier. Some stories came, and had to be dealt with at the time. Some stories came out later, um, and and they're painful. And they're probably still painful. Um, but you know, and I, how to comfort? I, I think, I think sharing more is good, and of course, there's a lot more help out there for all sorts of things in in life now, aren't there? But again, it was a lonely road then. Um, Eleanor Roosevelt says or said, "To have a child is to take your heart out and let it walk around outside your body for the rest of your life." What oh, do you think of that? I think that's absolutely spot on. I wouldn't say always, but no. but, but there were certainly times, yes. You know, you get you get hurt, you get. I I can remember. I mean, on lesser things, I can remember it, probably teenage years, when the children were perhaps at school or something, and sometimes walking into their bedroom, which was a total tip, and just crying and thinking, I can't cope with this. You know, so the greater things and and lesser things that are problems. But yes, I, I you know I don't think anybody has a, a smooth ride. Well, jolly nice for them if they do anyway. Yes. <laughs> just to sort of follow that through perhaps is that you do learn from everything each horrible thing that happens or even slightly difficult thing that happens you learn from it you learn and, and that's good if life if you never tripped up you'd never really grow would you and, and I would say if I was to say one thing I'd say my children have brought me up very nicely <laughs> <laughs> and I suppose if we do blame ourselves for everything 
that rests on the supposition that had we been perfect, it would all be okay. And we could never have been and we never as mothers, could no. we? No. 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 So I want to ask you, each generation has its strengths and its weaknesses. Mm. If you were a young mum today, what strength would you bring from your generation and what strength would you take from today's generation and take back <laughs> to your early motherhood? The strength of my generation, I don't know if it exists or doesn't exist or quite, I, I immediately think of the sort of connection with family, you know, like the mother and the, the sisters and, and the fact that we were a family that could connect up, uh, build relationships, help each other, look after each other, <laughs> have each other's kids. That was wonderful. I don't know that this generation are quite, they seem more reluctant to let their children go and sleep anywhere else or go anywhere else. They're more um, protected. I think we were more carefree. I, I wish it was a bit more playful, carefree mm. come into this generation. That's what I would love to see. Uh, maybe that comes at too high a risk of the broken bones. But And do you think it's fair to say that your generation were very resilient and resourceful? Yes. Perhaps, because you were... Yes. Baby boom, post-war. Yes, yes. We, we, were, we were definitely resilient and we managed on very much less uh, than, than the modern parent. I mean, if I just to sort of glance out and think, what's a modern, modern parent do? It buys a new house, everything is spickety-span, it's got kitchen equipment, it's got, you know, new beds and wardrobes and sofas. When we got married, we didn't have a carpet, we didn't have any furniture, we sat on tea boxes. I didn't have a kitchen, I just had a stove sitting in the middle and the sink where we washed the nappies. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> or not. And, and all those things came gradually. It, it was never a problem, I was just happy to, to have a home. Uh, it, it didn't, I didn't look on the poor me or anything, it was just fun. And when everything came gradually, that was so exciting. I think we appreciated things more. I think it's much more disposable now, isn't it? So that, that's, and then resilient, yes. Um, was that partly post-war and partly perhaps the man I married who, would have, who, would, <laughs> who was well, gorgeous who was gorgeous but would rather die than ever have to get a workman in the house so everything was done by him with my help where, wherever possible he was always up a ladder shoving hose pipes up his but then our house was 15th century wasn't it so. yes, but I was thinking my thoughts were going right back to our very first little bungalow which was brand new and we bought it um uh, as a half build because we couldn't quite afford it we said well don't put in the kitchen don't put in the central heating don't put in the flooring and then we could afford it and that's what we did so dad decided well dad had to do all the rest so he did build the kitchen and he did put the central heating in well that was quite interesting he went up in the loft it was only a bungalow it was like spaghetti junction up there <laughs> but we learned very much that if you didn't have one thing and it didn't work there was always a way around it it's so the make do and mend it's a make do and mend and I still have that about me if something you doesn't do. work I, I'll, I'll, I will sort of I will stick at it till innovative I, we were all like that and, and it was fine <laughs> and when you look at today's mum what do you think that you could learn from her that you would take back mm. well help from the husband would <laughs> be nice <laughs> Yes, I think they share more. They share more jobs. I think they communicate more. Uh, they communicate better. Um, they're much more of a team, probably, than we were. We might have been a sort of a team as a lot on the larger family, like cousins and sisters and brothers. But I think uh, the nuclear family itself is much more of a team. They talk things through, and they 
they know much more because there's much more out there. Far more emotional intelligence, yes. I sometimes think, perhaps when going back to the younger, you know, babies and things, that there's almost too much knowledge and too little uh, mother instinct there. It's the sort of mother instinct against the knowledge, and, and there's a balance there. So we've ended where we started. We have, haven't we? Yes. Yes. Brilliant. Is there anything that I haven't asked you that you feel is significant or important? Um, if I go back to the years when um, the children were sort of, I don't know, two, three, four, five, that sort of age, six, seven, those sort of ages, and I think, you know, what did I do right? What did I do wrong? Did an awful lot wrong. But the one thing I always tried to do was to be there. I was there. Okay, I was lucky and privileged enough not to have to work. Um, and it wasn't the culture to do so, but I was there. Um, uh, for better, for worse, I was always there. And I've got a, this is a little Mother Teresa story that I've, I, I've always rather enjoyed. The home is where the mother is. Once I picked up a child and took him to our children's home, gave him a bath, clean clothes, everything. But after a day, the child ran away. And so I said to the sisters, please follow that child. And one of you stay with him and see where he goes when he runs away. And the child ran away a third time. And there under the tree was the mother. She had put two stones under an earthenware vessel and was cooking something she'd picked up from the dustbins. The sister asked the child, why did you run away from the home? And the child said, but this is my home because this is where my mother is. Mm. We can overlook that, can't we? in all the things that we feel we need to provide. I think that's so absolutely right. You know, are we getting it right? Are we getting it wrong? I know. Actually, just your very presence, the very presence of the mother is a comfort to the child and a comfort to the mother to be with the, with the child too. It's comforting. And uh, so that really resonates with me. What's your best advice as a granny? <laughs> oh, wow, I didn't think about this. What's my best advice? Well, I think I'm back to just enjoying them, to be honest. I think what I've tried to do with all of them is put my face in their face enough times that they know me, they know my smell, they know what I look like. So we're, we're established then. Mm. And then just follow through, through the friendship. Uh, enjoy them at every stage. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I think that's it. I mean, I love it when you're, you know, the older ones will, will they make all talk around to you, come they? around <laughs> yeah. and, and spend time having a coffee or, or with Dumper. They used to go to the pub with him, you know. But that that's come off the back of, I think, as far as one possibly can. I know you were in Australia for, for a few years. Um, I've just really poking my face in their face enough times. Being present. And being present again. It's back to being present. Isn't it? Not, not that, don't get me wrong, I wasn't the grandmother who was always, you know... I, I'll perhaps make out I'm, I've been with them more often than I have when I say that, but whenever I had the opportunity, I would do that. No, you've definitely had your own life. You've managed to keep the relationship with the adults as well as enjoying the babies. Mm-hmm. Was there a stage at which you thought, right, I'm losing them now or they're, they're going off? How, how do you maintain that connection with them when they start sort of being more independent? The children or the grandchildren? The, the grandchildren. The grandchildren. Um, funnily enough, I, I go, my thoughts go back to when you went to Australia for several years and we didn't see so much of you. And my real concern, well, and there were lots of, <laughs> lots of concerns, but one of them was, um, would the grandchildren know me? And when I got out to Australia, I noticed that, of course, they didn't necessarily know me or recognise me, but they, they saw our relationship, they saw my relationship with mm. you. And it was almost as though they were thinking, 
well, it's okay for mum, it's okay for me, sort of thing. And they picked up on that. They see trust, don't they? So it's maintaining mm. a relationship with your own children, I think, is vital. Yes. And, and quite a priority. And then I think the grandchildren, it just follows, because they just absorb yeah. it. Funnily enough, I'd say I've got, I, I'm almost, I hadn't thought about it until this very moment, but I've almost finally arrived. You at have. The empty nest. With COVID. <laughs> with COVID, but with being a widow. Yes. This is your first empty nest, isn't it? It's is my first empty nest. Well, only just because don't forget Luke's been living here yeah. for, for a number of years for a number of months. Um, exactly. So really I'm just almost as we come out of COVID, should we say, we come out of lockdown and quite soon now, I would say and and it it crossed my mind this morning that actually it's the beginning of a, a different life for me. I'm not abandoning my children or grandchildren, but <laughs> I, I will but though it is a time when I can start to think well, what am I going to do? I want to learn something. I want to do different things. And I can actually be realistic about that now. So probably at the age of 70, coming up 77, <laughs> I'm finally empty nest syndrome. Or, or will Congratulations. I be? Congratulations. She's with that. <laughs> so that leads me to my final question. What's the courageous thing that you've done in your life? <laughs> Raise me. <laughs> <laughs> Should I come back to that? Oh dear, you laughed far too hard. <laughs> yes, 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 I think you're spot on. But, um, I suppose when I think of courage, I think, well, is courage something that you do that you have a choice about doing, so you choose to do it? Or is it just something which you're on this path and you've just got to keep going and you've got to have courage to keep going? And, and I'm probably more on that line because, do you know, I think just mothering is courageous. I would really say it is a very courageous job. And I think some days just to get up and just to keep going is courageous i think it is so courageous you know when you're tired when the kids have fought when the supper's splashed on the floor and the dog's done this that and the other you know all of those things when that's happened to have the courage <laughs> to just get up and scoop it up and sit down and have and, and carry on i think that's that's courageous that's really the most courageous thing i can think of uh, perhaps, you know, a, another little thing perhaps is that, um, and perhaps this goes, but this also reflects the difference between then what we did and what today's children do. I think they're far more protective nowadays. We were less protective. So my philosophy was always, by the time they were 12, at the age of 12, they were allowed to go to London on their own. Now, bearing in mind, we lived, what, 40 minutes out of London then. It was a, it was a train drive from, from Latimer up on the up to London and then they had to find their way around the tubes and, and get home again. Age 12 they were allowed to do that on their own and I think now I don't know how many others would do that or should have done and they had no mobiles you know you saw them off and you had no idea they'd ever come to get back again. Um, I, I'd say that was courageous. It was. <laughs> For us. <laughs> Besides, Besides. Remember my first one I went to Carnaby Street with Catherine. Oh, we are. got blue hairspray sprayed our hair blue <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I mean, you know, just to sort of fill in a little bit, we had I had done the journey with all of you before many times before and shown you the maps and shown you the way around the underground. We, we we'd sort of done a bit of homework on it, but it was still quite terrifying. I, I knew I had to do that. I knew I had to to sort of launch you to to make sure you understood what to do, uh, and. And there were many things in life along those lines of, of the launching rather than the hanging on to. It's the bird pushing her little yes, birds out of the nest. It, it is. And fly. And, and, yes. <laughs> and it's hard. It's hard to do as a mother. Um, 
Yeah. The nearest equivalent we've probably got is when they go into senior school, we let them go to town for the first time in the summer holidays <laughs> on their own. It doesn't really compare, does it? It doesn't compare. <laughs> to it the big smoke. It doesn't compare. And of course, you know, today, you do go around London with all the sort of things you hear on the news. I mean, it's a, it's a different world, but yeah. there are probably similar things, you know. And, and So I think being a mother is courageous when they're little and when they're teenagers and later and all the way through, I think it's a courageous job. There's a real value in listening to someone reflecting on their motherhood and I hope you found some gems in there. And I would add to that that she always valued above all things her relationship with each of us and in turn each of her grandchildren and we're all close to her. She's really reaped what she's sown Thank you for joining me this week. I hope that you're made to feel very special this Sunday. If you've got questions, comments, someone that you recommend for the podcast, or you want to inquire about some parenting support, please do ping me on Instagram or by email. I'm easy to find. I'm the Courageous Mama on Insta, on Gmail and on the blog. Something I'd love to ask of you is if you'd pop to the reviews and throw me some stars and a comment. It helps me and it helps people to find me and I'm really grateful for that. And I'll see you next week.